You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Okay, so uh, we are continuing our series, Elephant in the Room. If you're visiting with us, you can catch up. We have an app. Just look for South Bay Church on the App Store, uh, and you can listen to all the past sermons if you'd like, or go to our website, southbaychurch.us. But an elephant in the room is something that, you know, is there. Everybody knows it's there, but nobody talks about it, even though it's right there. And so we've been covering different topics. We did this a year ago, and then we brought it back by popular demand this year again. So we're calling it the return of the elephant. And the topic today is false doctrine. Um, That is a little bit of a different topic because it's not so much an elephant in the room in that, you know, people are always know about false doctrine. It's more that it's just there. It's all around in kind of the world of Christianity and it's a really important big topic that you don't hear a lot about in services. You don't hear a lot about in church services. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about false doctrine today and uh, this is a really important topic but we also uh, need to treat it with humility. The Bible says uh, Paul wrote this to Timothy, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And I would argue that this is really what happens on Sundays in America, is people are kind of looking for what makes them feel comfortable or looking for what they would like to hear rather than what is God really saying? What does the Word really say? Sound doctrine, uh, the word doctrine is not something we probably use in everyday language, but uh, it means teaching. It means uh, your belief system. What do you believe? And so Paul talked about having life and doctrine. You've got to have both the life that you live, but then also the things that you believe need to line up with Scripture. And so it's really, really important. It's so important that uh, we wanted to, to, to take some time today, and, and I want to give you some resources to take away from here. But as we're looking at these things, again, it's important that we treat these things with humility and with mutual respect. Um, and we're not quarrelsome. Uh, we talked about that last week, not being quarrelsome. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're a visitor today, if you're a guest, I might say something today that might offend you. You might go, wow, that's, that's different than what I always heard. Uh, I would just encourage you, you know, even Jesus said, blessed is the man who doesn't stumble on account of me. Uh, Jesus said, I know what I'm going to say is going to make you stumble. And so if I'm going to share Jesus's words, they might make you stumble at times. But I encourage you just to not, to not walk away, but just, okay, well, I'm going to investigate further. Uh, anything that we share in this church, it's not because this is what we want or what, what we think. It's, it's really because we're trying to go by the Bible. And so, you know, you can, we'll show you the scriptures, we'll open up the Bible, and, and, and then you can decide for yourself what you think about what the scriptures say, because that's what really matters. But I wanted to share a story here, <clears throat> kind of what not to do. With the topic of false doctrine, um, you know, a number of years ago, uh, we were leading a, uh, a music ministry down in Long Beach. Uh, it was we did music stuff for church, but it was also our ministry. And we were I was working full time as a product manager, but volunteering for the church in this role. And one of the brothers in our ministry had a friend that he was studying the Bible with um, that he said was open and wants to become a Christian. And so he asked me to come and get involved and, and try to help out with this Bible study. So I show up with, uh, you know, with this brother to a coffee shop there in Bixby Knowles in Long Beach. And then this, uh, so there's my friend from church and then his friend. But then along with his friend 
was this, uh, you know, shorter, older gentleman with spectacles and a suitcase like this, or old-fashioned suitcase full of books, full of theological books. And he was there to argue. And uh, so it was me and my friend, and then, you know, his his friend, and then his kind of religious guy. So I was the religious guy on one side, and he was the religious guy on the other side. And You know, at this time, I'm much younger. I'm not, you know, I've never been to, you know, uh, seminary at the time or anything. I just, I just knew what the Bible said well, and so we just end up getting in this, these arguments about doctrine. And he's quoting, you know, other texts, and I'm trying to quote the Bible, and he has different ways of explaining away different verses from what they clearly seem to say. And anyway, it just got more and more heated, and we were kind of getting nowhere. I remember the, the worst of it at the end. Even my friend was just because I'm angry, and my face is red, and he's angry, and he's, you know. He's calling me a false prophet, and I'm saying, well, that's, no, that's not true. You're the false prophet, or that's false doctor. You know, we're just, so by the end, my friend is like, can we just pray? And, you know, I'm like, I don't want to pray with you, you know. I don't know if I said that or if I just felt that. I think we actually did pray, but, but we just got nowhere. And, and, and you just do not want to have that approach to doctrine. Uh, we got to have dialogue. We just look at the scriptures. And here's, I, I love this verse. This is what Jesus, uh, Jesus or God, in, in this case, it's from Isaiah, says that he's looking for. This is who he looks on with favor. Isaiah 66, 2. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. You know, that's really what we want to be in this church. We're not, we don't think we're better than anybody. We don't think we're the only one true religion. We're the only one true church. Anything like that. We're just, we feel like we've found what... The Bible, if you just open the Bible, it's amazing uh, how practical it is and how easy to read it is, especially when it comes to doctrinal things that are important. It's very straightforward, and yet so few people in America today even read the Bible. A lot of people go to church, but not many people really open the Bible. And so we want to be people who are humble and contrite and who tremble at the word, meaning, oh, if this is what God says, I better follow it. Like, I, wanna, I don't want to go by my feelings or by my traditions or by even my personal experiences if they're contradicted by the Word of God. I want to make sure I, I tremble at the Word of God because it's important. Now, when it comes to matters of doctrine, there are what's called, the Bible calls, disputable matters. Uh, Romans 14, Paul says this, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters, there are areas of opinion, there are areas that... I think God purposely left a little bit vague in the scriptures the specific uh, things he's talking about in Romans 14. He's talking about special days or seasons and whether it's wrong to celebrate special days or seasons. One day is more special than another. He's also talking about eating food and and being careful about what you eat, whether it's uh, holy or not. Or, you know, uh, there's a lot of different rules in the Old Testament about food. There was an issue uh, in the New, New Testament times about whether it's okay to eat food that had been sacrificed to an idol. Some people said, well, it didn't really mean anything because the idols are nothing. Other people said, no, this is, this is tainted spiritually. You know, we talked more about that in a different uh, lesson if you want to go back and, and listen to that one. But, but the point is there are issues that are matters of opinion. And I put a dinosaur on there because sometimes people like to argue about the dinosaurs, you know, and whether the earth is 8,000 years old or 4.5 billion years old and, get into arguments about things that are 
the Bible is not a science book, right? So it's not, it's not there to try to explain the dinosaurs. And there's people that say, well, this is clearly dinosaurs here in Job. And other people that say, no, that's just poetic and, you know, whatever. There's, there's areas of, you know, that aren't really clear. Even what exactly heaven is like or what hell is like, that's not clear in Scripture. Um, there's, there's imagery. But because it's outside of our realm of space and time, because it's outside of our dimensions, all that we know is what we've experienced through our senses, right? So to try to understand something that's a whole other dimension or a whole other place or will be experienced with different senses maybe, I don't know, you know, those things are outside of our understanding. How God interacts in time is hard to understand, predestination and uh, free will and these kinds of things, the, what, what the second coming is like and whether there's a rapture or not and whether there's a tribulation and all these things. People can get consumed with that stuff. And yet if it's not really clear in Scripture, it's okay to have different areas of opinion about it and don't quarrel about it. There are disputable matters. Now, where the Bible is really clear is about the gospel, about who Jesus is, that he was God in a human form, that he literally physically rose from the dead, and, and that he died on a cross for our sins. That is super clear all throughout Scripture. The, 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 you know, the New Testament writers believe that even all the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of the gospel and of Jesus. And that God, when, when God told Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all nations, he was talking about the gospel. He was talking about Jesus coming as a descendant of Abraham, who eventually would bring the kingdom to all nations. So Paul said this in Galatians 1, if, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So Paul was really strong when it comes to areas of salvation, when it comes to areas of the gospel. We, don't wanna, we, we can't change that. Uh, it's not okay to have different opinions if it's really, really clear in Scripture. And, and, you know, the Bible even says Satan masquerades as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11, and then he goes on to say, it's no wonder then that his servants often masquerade as angels of righteousness. Satan can use religion. And so I don't mean to offend. I, I don't think people have uh, bad intentions a lot of times. I think people have the best of intentions. But Satan can even use doctrine that's not true to the scriptures to, to mess people up. You know, if you're Satan, just think about it for a minute. C.S. Lewis had this kind of analogy. If, if you are Satan and you want to you know, get humanity. And you have a guy over here that knows he needs God. You know, he's, he's living a life that's just out of control, and he knows he is desperate, but he's trapped in sin. You know, he's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and he's just, you know, his life is consumed with stuff. Uh, every weekend he's, you know, partying, and, 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 and he feels an emptiness. You have that guy over here, and then let's say over here you have a guy who's religious, but his, it's a Matthew 7 religion where he's doing all these things in the name of God, but he doesn't really know God and he's not following the scriptures. And so he is not right with God, but he thinks he is. Who is in a, if you're Satan, who's in a better position for you? Isn't it the religious person? Because they don't even see their need for God. Whereas somebody who sees their need for God you know, they, at least they know, right? And so Jesus talks to churches in Revelation that he says, you don't realize your spiritual condition. You think you're fine, but you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You better repent or you're going to lose your salvation, he says to 
some of these churches. So it's super important that we stay true to the, to the gospel and stay true to doctrine. So we're going to look at a, a text here in, in uh, Acts 2. It's too much reading to put on the screen. But uh, if you turn there with me to Acts 2. And, and, and this stuff is really, to be honest, it's best understood and studied out in kind of a, like three or four people getting together with the Bible open and just discussing. So I'm just going to kind of talk here for a little bit. And give you a few tools, but I, I want you know I really encourage you if you have questions about this to get together with me or with anybody here from church really, and I'm going to give you some tools at the end. But it really works best as a discussion, kind of talking about these issues rather than you know a lecture type thing. But uh, Acts two, this is the first Christian sermon, in that this is the first sermon preached after Jesus rose from the dead and left and uh, left his his followers in charge and uh i don't have time to go into all the details but but peter is the one who preaches and gets up there at the at the end of his sermon in verse 36 he says so let everyone in israel know for certain that god has made this jesus whom you crucified to be both lord and messiah peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and the other apostles brothers what shall we do peter replied Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who've been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So if you're a part of the church, familiar passage. But I love this verse because Jesus told Peter, you're the one that has the keys. You're the one that's going to open the door to the kingdom. And we believe this is really a fulfillment of that as as Peter's the one kind of opening. uh, This is the gospel message that, what do we do, they say? We, We killed Jesus. Our sins killed Jesus. And he says, repent of your sins. And be baptized for forgiveness of your sins, and you have the Holy Spirit that will be a gift to guide you through the rest of your life. And he's really clear that this is not just for you, but it's for your children, it's for their children, it's for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is the way that we respond to the gospel is repentance and baptism and and following, you know, Jesus Jesus in Matthew twenty eight says, Baptize people and then teach them to obey everything. So where we respond to the gospel, we're baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, and then we keep learning and keep growing and keep following the way of truth, and the Holy Spirit guides us. So this is the model, and you see this throughout the rest of the book of Acts. We don't have time to look through each story, but you see this. And sometimes one element or another of this conversion process is, uh, is focused on, and I'll talk about why that is in a minute. But this is kind of the model we see. This is a, a picture of Justin Montclaro getting baptized right there. Uh, so we do, we do baptisms in our church just like this. We, if somebody wants to respond, they repent of their sin. Repent, the word in Greek is metanoia. So have a change of mind, have a change of heart, have a change of perspective in your whole way you view the world and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And, uh, and so this is what we practice. And this is why we head to the beach and have baptisms and, and that kind of thing. Now, how does this get off track? Well, over time... Um, you know, the, 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 the gospel w- was preached and, and it spread and these churches went all over. And even by the time Revelation was written, 
There was some, some false doctrine creeping into the church that Paul discusses there in Revelation. But for the most part, persecution really purified the church and kept the church uh, very pure uh, doctrinally for the first couple hundred years. But over time, you know, it's, they started to drift. And then um, in the 300s, you have Constantine, who's the, the uh, head of the Roman Empire, the Roman emperor, uh, is converted to Christianity. He sees a vision, he believes, and he decides that he wants Jesus to lead his armies, and so he starts putting crosses on their soldiers' shields, and, and he makes Christianity the established religion of the Roman Empire. Uh, the Edict of Milan in, in 313 AD, he makes Christian, Christianity, it's no longer illegal. And So it seems like a victory, right? Because, okay, now we're not being oppressed by the Romans anymore. But what happens is the church grows uh, in that, you know, permeates the Roman Empire, but then it also loses a lot of its qualities. Uh, it, it, gets, it gets corrupted, in, in, in my view, and, you know, we could discuss that, why I think that, but, uh, you know, whereas before, there, there brings in a lot of stuff that's not in the Bible. Like, whereas before the Romans would worship Athena, this goddess figure, now they kind of replace her with Mary, and they start, you have Mary worship come in. And whereas before they had all these different gods of different things, you had a god of this and a god of that, and they would pray to different gods for different things. Now they kind of replace that with the worship of saints. And now I have a saint for this and a saint for that. And you know, so a lot of kind of traditions come in that are not in the Bible at all. Uh, and some people are even amazed when they find out that these things are not in the Bible. You mean Hail Mary is not in the Bible? That prayer? No, that's not in the Bible, you know. And some of these things that kind of come into the church. And church becomes what we've talked before in our, our fellowship here about being a temple model or temple religion. Where you're trying to do the right things to please the gods. Right? If I do all these things, if I do all these rituals, then I'll please the gods. But you kind of take your heart out of it. And it's not about relationship anymore. It's about just doing things. And, and in Matthew 15, 9, Jesus applied this to the religious people of his time. Because this is a pattern that repeats through history. You start with relationship. You start with something that's from your heart. But then over time it becomes ritual. And just something you kind of go through with empty actions. But your heart's no longer there. And so what, what Jesus says in Matthew 15. He says you're putting traditions above the word of God. And your religion has become just rules taught by people. And your, your lips are far from me. Your, your lips, uh, sorry, your lips... Speak of me, but your hearts are far from me. And that's really what happens in traditional religion is people's hearts get far from God and it becomes more about doing all these things. Okay, you sinned, so now you need to work off your sin by saying these prayers or doing these deeds. And it becomes all about kind of working what we do rather than what God does. Does that make sense? And so even even uh, communion or baptism becomes more magical, more of this kind of uh, a ritual that, and so you take a baby like who's born, okay, I don't want this baby to be go to hell. The Bible says you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we just read. So I don't want my baby to go to hell, so let's baptize that baby uh, and forgive them of their sin, like it's a magic kind of thing. Uh, and, and so, and baptism, the word baptism literally means immerse, uh, immersion, but that gets changed over time to be sprinkling, and so they sprinkle infants so that they are saved. But again, it's, it's a ritualistic approach to the gospel. It, you know, when you read the Bible, it's not about anything fancy about the water, right? Uh, 
First Peter 2.9 says, Baptism now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.12 says, You're buried within baptism and saved through your faith in Him. So you have to have faith, and a little baby can't really have faith, right, yet? If, and if, put it this way, if I just, like in Nacho Libre, I grab a guy from the mall, and I sneak up behind him, and I just dump water, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, woo, I saved one. You know, that, that doesn't do it, right? It's about personal faith. The guy has to have personal faith. And so it's the same of a, of a baby. So it becomes this empty ritual. So then, in a response to that, you have the Protestant movement. And a response to uh, this ritualism, ritualistic kind of temple model religion of the uh, traditional uh, religion, you have a response to that in Protestantism, which is they, people start reading the Bible, the Bible becomes available. People hadn't read the Bible for centuries, but now with the printing press, it becomes available to common people. And even the church said you are not allowed to read it in the, the height of the ritualism, you're, you, you're a common person. You can't read the Bible. That's only for the priests, you know. That's how bad it got. But with Protestantism, people spread the Bible, and so they start saying, no, we're not saved by these rituals. We're not saved by anything we do. We're saved by the grace of God. And, and so it, it, it needs to be, you know, a response of faith. Faith is what the issue is. Faith alone, Martin Luther said, faith alone. But in my view, they kind of go too far. You know, the story of, of religion and the story of most uh, human things is a story of, of pendulum swings, right? You, oh, we're too much this way. Okay, now we've got to do this, and then we swing the, far, the pendulum too far this way. So they, they went so far away from deeds to say there is nothing you could do. There's nothing you should do. There's even a doctrine that says you are not able to even respond to the gospel. It has to be God that, you know, magically works in you. So the only people who are saved are those God's elected and, you know, it's Calvinism and it's it's too complicated to get into right here. But it but in practice what you end up with in a lot of American religion today is what I call cheap grace. And that is just the response to the gospel gets so watered down that all it is is just believe in Jesus. And believe in Jesus means just kind of mentally go, "Okay, yeah, I believe in Jesus." And so it becomes, okay, let's just get people to believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, then you're, you're right with God. Because John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? That, that is in the Bible, John 3.16. Whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. The problem is you've got to read all of John 3. Because all of John 3, Jesus says, here's the verdict. Lights come into the world, but men love darkness instead of lights because their deeds were evil. And in John 3, Jesus also says, you must be born again, born of water and the Spirit, or you won't see the kingdom of God. So there's more to it than just the one little verse, right? And so belief, biblical belief, is not just a mental ascent, but it's your life changes. And the, uh, the scripture I put there, James 2, 17, you can read all that context on your own, but James says this, faith without deeds is dead. If you if, if I come if I tell you I am so hungry I haven't eaten in three days, and I have been sleeping on the street and you're my friend, I've been sleeping on the street I have nowhere to stay my house burned down, I haven't eaten in three days and you go, you know what Brian I, I really wish you well man I'm gonna pray for you. You know I, I'm gonna when I get home I'm gonna pray for you man oh take care I'll see you later. 
You know, that, that, he, James says that is reli- that's religion that's worthless. That you, you did nothing for me. You can say you care about me, but you don't. Your words say you care. Your words say I wish you well. and keep, but, but that's not what your heart is, you know, because you're not doing anything for me. And so James says faith without deeds, if you really have faith, if you really believe, it's going to show in your life. It's going to be evidenced in your life. He says even the demons believe in Jesus. And shudder, yeah. So it, it's beyond, it, it, belief is enough to save you, but it's biblical belief. Does that make sense? So I think a better way to look at it, to me, is there's God's grace, and then there's our response, which is faith. So we are absolutely saved by grace. There is a gift of God that, that so no one can boast, uh, Ephesians says. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. Whether we would respond or not, he put that out there. And if you study more about what the cross is all about, it will motivate you when you see what he did for you. For you personally. God wants to bless you. God has a plan for you. God uh, you know, is reaching out and wanting a relationship with you. That is 100% by grace. However, there does have to be some kind of response. And that is to respond in faith. To, to, to uh, Jesus says... You know, that you need to carry your cross and follow me. I'm going to die on the cross for you. If you want to be my follower, you need to carry your cross and follow me. So there needs to be a response of going, okay, I'm going to follow. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean I'm never going to mess up, but it means a commitment. You know, I've shared before, if somebody said, you know, I'll marry you, but one day a week I just want to kind of have, be my own, you know, whoever I want to be with or whatever. But six days a week, I'm yours. Who would take that? <laughs> you know? We want total commitment when it comes to relationship, when it comes to love. You would never go into a marriage like that. And that's what God is saying. I want your whole heart. I want total commitment from you. My grace demands that much of a response. And so the Bible does talk about a response of faith and, and, and living as a disciple and, and following Jesus and repentance and baptism and, and some of those things. So trying to understand this, uh, I had a, um, a woman I was studying with. Well, I, I wasn't studying with a woman, but I was studying with a guy. But her husband, uh, I was studying with her husband, but her, uh, his wife was a little bit stuck on some of this stuff uh, with, with uh, uh, conversion. Because what, what's practiced in most churches in America is either you have the traditionalism where you know, ba- infants are baptized, or you have this, uh, the sinner's prayer. You guys know what the sinner's prayer is? And that's where you say, okay, the end of the sermon, okay, we want to have salvations here today. So whoever wants to respond, say this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, you know, I am a sinner. I admit I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I want you to come into my heart, and I now accept you as my Lord and Savior. And then they say, if you said that prayer with me, uh, raise your hand, and then they'll count and see who all was saved. I mean, that's, that's in most churches. That maybe doesn't happen every Sunday, but a lot, a lot of churches, that's their, their way of saving people. The thing is that that prayer is never found in Scripture. It's taken from a, uh, a text in Revelation that where Jesus is addressing disciples. He's addressing Christians saying, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. So he's talking to people who are lukewarm Christians. It's not how to become a Christian. But anyway, uh, so but but you hear that so much in churches that, you know, you don't, you're not baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. 
It's only an outward sign of inward grace, and, and you're saved when you say this prayer, even though the prayer is not in the Bible. And a lot of evangelical speakers are starting to understand, or, or theologians are starting to get that and even say it publicly. Oh, yeah, that prayer is not actually in the Bible. <laughs> you know? But, I, I mean, I, for one of my classes, uh, I had to observe a bunch of different churches. So I, I was observing this church, the biggest church in America, it's t- uh, 20,000 people. And they do a lot of online services. And every service they do, even online, they do the prayer at the end. And then you can even click if you would like to respond and raise your hand. Click here to raise your hand. So you can, like, and this little digital hand goes up. And it's like, congratulations, you've just now been saved. And, you know, and we encourage you to join a local church and that kind of thing. Now, I I don't want to demean it. Like, I think their motivation is good. They want to save as many people as possible. And, amen, I, I applaud that. But if the biblical model is something different... I think we've got to go with the biblical model. There's a reason Jesus said, go make disciples and baptize them. There's a reason Peter said, this promise is for everyone God calls. This is the way to become a Christian. But anyway, I was studying with this guy and his wife, and she was having troubles with it, so we got together as couples. And, and I just thought of an analogy. They had just recently gotten married. And this analogy helped me a lot, so I want to share it with you. We won't have time to look at all these verses, but I want to share with you this analogy. Um, you know, I said, you guys... You just recently got married. You got married, you know, a couple months ago. What, what was the process of you getting married? It wasn't like you just suddenly met each other and had a wedding ceremony, right? There was a process to it. You met each other. You dated. You fell in love. You got engaged. And you got married. But what was the point at which now you're married? Like you were in love before. You had a relationship before. But what's the point at which, you know, now you're married? And, they, and she said, well, the point at which the, the pastor said, I now pronounce you man and wife. You may kiss the bride. Yeah, that's the point in time when now you're actually married. And so that's the way it is with, with conversion. There, there's a lot to it. You, you hear the word. You believe the word. You repent of your sin. You confess Jesus as Lord. But baptism is like that wedding ceremony where at this point your sins are washed away. There's a point in time. Because otherwise, we all want a point in time. And so kind of religion, American religion has made it this prayer. Okay, but then, but then you feel like, oh, it didn't really work. And so then you say the prayer again. You know, so, you know, you say the prayer like nine times. I hope it takes this time, you know. But that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is, is this. And uh, if you look on your app, um, if you have the app, I, I put this is in there. I'll, I'll explain to you in a minute. I see somebody taking pictures of it, but it, this is going to be in your app so you can get it. But all these verses on here kind of are referring to different steps in that process. But the reason that's important is because sometimes pe- people will want to argue, like I was talking about at the beginning, kind of putting this verse against this verse. Well, you know, well, this verse clearly says this. You know, like, for example, uh, Romans 10.9 says, Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you are saved, right? So, so somebody will use that and say, See, you don't need to be baptized. But Romans 6, a few chapters earlier, Paul says, when you're baptized, you're buried with Christ and raised with him to a new life. So that's what's happening in baptism, is you're participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So that's the point where your old self is crucified. That's the point where you now live a new life, just like Jesus said you need to be born again. It's in the same book, so you can't use different parts of the Bible to argue against each other. You kind of look at the whole thing. Um, If I say, you know, dating... In, in America, dating is an important part of, of getting married. Or if I say, you know, a wedding ceremony is important to have. Those are both true statements. You can't 
put them against each other. It, they're talking about the same thing. You know what I mean? And Romans 10 is interesting because what Paul's doing in Romans 10 is he's, he's arguing from Deuteronomy 30 where Moses had told the Israelites, what I'm commanding you is not some great deed. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth to respond to God. This is what Moses said to the Israelites. The word is very near you. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. And so you don't need to go do some crazy deed. It's just, just respond. And so Paul is telling the Romans, he's using Deuteronomy 30, saying, yes, it's your heart that you believe Jesus is Lord. It's your mouth that you say, you respond, you confess Jesus is Lord. It's your heart that you believe he rose, that, that he's Lord and he rose from the dead and you believe in your heart. So that's how you use your mouth. That's how you use your heart, Paul is, is illustrating. But, but you can't pull out these different verses and try to say, oh, this means you don't have to be baptized. Um, You've got to kind of look at the whole thing. Uh, and, and so if, you were, if, if a brother came to me and he said, you know, I, I really want to, I've decided I really think I want to be married, you know. I mean, singlehood is the perfect uh, spiritual state. Jesus was single. Paul was single. That's the perfect spiritual state. But I'm not, I'm not there. I think I need to get married. So give me some advice. How do I get married? And I said, okay, well, when's the last time you went on a date? And he says, oh, I think it was 2014. You know, my answer would be, bro, you've got to get out there and date. Date some sisters. Take the sisters out on dates. But let's say there's another brother, and he says, bro, bro, you have a great marriage. You know, I think I want to know how do I get married and I asked him questions, and, and, oh, he's got a fiancé, and they've been engaged for two years. They just have been putting off. I would say, set a date. Have the ceremony. We can, you know, stop. I know you don't, you don't have money, but look, we can do it in somebody's backyard. You know, we can do this cheap. Let's do it. So it would be a very different answer to that brother, right? Why? Because it depends on where he is in the process. And so a lot of times the answer in the Bible of, of you know, how do I get right with God it depends on where the person is coming from. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll ask somebody when they're studying, okay, let's, okay, so I know you've been taught the sinner's prayer thing and that you're saved when you say the prayer, when you ask for forgiveness. Let's say you have a guy who has been killing Christians. Let's say that Jesus himself appears to him and says, why are you killing Christians? Okay, okay, I got Okay, then let's say he goes, oh my gosh, I'm just... He's so incredibly blown away. He doesn't eat anything for three days, and he spends the whole time praying. What what do you think he's praying? Forgive me, Jesus. I'm so sorry I was killing Christians. What was I doing? You know, why am I? Okay. Then a guy comes to him, and, and, you know, would that, I, I said, would that guy be saved? Oh, of course. You know, he's been asking for forgiveness. Jesus appeared to him. Well, let's look at Acts 22, 16. In Acts 22, 16, as Paul's retelling the own story of his own conversion, he says, at that point, this brother is sent to him, Ananias, and says, Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So why would Luke record baptism as being necessary for his sins to be forgiven if he was already forgiven you know, by praying for three days? You know, it, it just depends on where you are in the process. And Paul was right here at the end. You know, he, he knew He'd messed up, and he knew who Jesus was, and he just was on the wrong side of all of it. He just needed to be baptized. Anyway, I don't want to get too much further into the weeds on this, but again, the, the easiest way to understand this is to just talk it through and look at all these verses together. And uh, one more example for, for us in Acts 8 
quickly. Um, sometimes people will say, well, what, what about if somebody wants to get baptized and they're in the middle of the desert? I'll say, well, look at Acts 8, you know. And uh, in this story, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, I want you to go to the desert, this desert road, and go there. And, you know, he, he's just kind of led by the Spirit, and then he goes there, and then he sees this, uh, this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch. This is a, a guy from Egypt. Uh, he's a, ro- a part of royalty, Egyptian royalty. But he's a convert to Judaism, so he's been going to, to Israel to worship. And he's reading... Verse 26, as for Philip, the angel of the Lord said to him, go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. He met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority over the conduct, uh, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and was now returning. Seating in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up to the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the, is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked the, Philip, tell me, who was the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. So this is amazing because he just so happens to be reading from the whole book of the Bible this amazing prophecy about Jesus from, uh, from Isaiah 53. And, uh, you know, he's not understanding it. And so Philip is there to, to answer his questions. I really believe this is still how God works. There are people who are searching. And, and if you just ask around the fellowship, how did you become a Christian? It's not like somebody did, you know, did some amazing thing. It's they, God was already working in their life. They were already searching in some way. And then God hooked them up with the truth. And that's exactly what God does right here. So if you don't understand, I just encourage you to ask God to show you and have the humility of this this eunuch to go, can you, understand, can you explain this to me? I, I, I'm trying, I don't understand. Ask somebody to, to help you understand. Have that kind of humility. And if you are wanting to, as we all want to, we, you want to be used by God to help others, be available to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit says, hey, go talk to that person, then listen to him and go talk to that person. If the Holy Spirit says, you know, this guy at the office, you ought to ask him out to lunch, then ask him out to lunch. He might be reading his Bible and going, can you explain to me this? Just like the story. This happens today. All the time. God works in people's lives in, in this very way. So we, we need to be available to the Holy Spirit. And it's God that does the work, not us. We just explain, okay, well, here's, and here's the good news. And he explained to him, this is who Jesus was. And so then uh, in verse 34, or verse 36, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. They went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. You know, this is still the way it can work today if we just make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit and just get the Bible open just like this. And so um, I wanted to let you know on the app now uh, are this, these first step Bible study series. And so that, that last slide I had on there with the wedding ceremony and all those scriptures, that's on this study series. 
So if you look on your phone and you kind of scroll down, you'll see First Steps Bible Study Series. I encourage you, this is not designed for you to just like, hey, download the app and read that, all those and then let me know what you think. But get together and talk about it. Because it, it's, it's best to just talk it through and talk about what it means in your own life. But, but there's, it's really guided to help you help someone else to, to study the Bible and, and kind of come to the right understanding. Do you have to do a study series to become a Christian? No. No, that's not in the Bible. We, that can't become a tradition, right? But it's a great guide. It's a great guide to understanding the gospel. You can help somebody become a Christian with one verse, like Philip did. He used, Philippian, he used uh, Isaiah 53, and you can use only Isaiah 53, and somebody can be ready to get baptized from only Isaiah 53. It takes more work nowadays because there's so much to unlearn, because there's so much religious confusion nowadays. But, 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 but it's just a matter of responding to the gospel of Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins. And that we want to respond in repentance and faith and baptism and living for him. Uh, Before we take communion, I want to read a little bit this idea of of God, his grace, and then our response. I feel like it's outlined really well in the book of Ephesians. And so a little homework I'd like you to do at some point this week or next week or at some point. Just read the book of Ephesians with this in mind. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, chapters 1, 2, and 3, are really about God's grace and what God has done for us. And then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are really, okay, now how do we respond to that? What is our life like? What, what do we do in response to God's grace? And uh, I think it, it's super, super helpful. But I want to read a little bit uh, from Ephesians about God's grace uh, that we remember when we take communion and remember Jesus' body and his blood given for us. So I'm just going to read a few little excerpts from Ephesians uh, 1, 2, and 3, just a few of the verses there, and then I'll pray for communion. If you want to close your eyes, that's cool, and just uh, think about the words of uh, this letter from Paul. Paul says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us along with wisdom and understanding. A little farther in verse 15, he says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. And I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he called. A holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power. 
for us who believe. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the place of honor in God's right hand in the heavenly realms. A little farther he says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. All of us used to live that way, following our passionate desires, inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, loved us so much, that even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is by God's grace you've been saved. And in chapter 3, we'll close out here. Verse 14, he says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now, to the all glory be to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God, thank you for this amazing grace through Jesus. Thank you that though we were sinners and objects of wrath, as Paul wrote about there, we have been chosen by you to be your adopted sons and daughters, and you've lavished your love on us. Help us to remember what it cost, Jesus' body and his blood, his sacrifice, and help us to respond in rededicating our lives to you and our hearts to you, and help us to hold nothing back from you. Help us to give you our very selves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.